Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss Rend It from the 1993 album In on the Kill Taker is Jenna LaFleur, a Fugazi fan from Washington, D.C. Jenna, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? You are another one of these people who has been listening to the show for a while and, you know, got in touch with me a while back and I've seen your name around. So it's great to finally, you know, match a voice to the name Um, and cool to have you. Welcome aboard. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I'm going to ask you the same thing I ask every guest. And as a listener, I'm sure you know what that is. But uh, your relationship with Fugazi as a fan, how did it start? What's your story? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I'm I'm like on I'm on the younger side of Fugazi fans, you know, like I was born in 1998, but uh you know, like I I've lived in DC my whole life, so you know, I sort of grew up in a a post Fugazi landscape that's you know sort of their 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 legacy, you know, is still is definitely still felt. Um I think like the the first time that I I heard or saw the name Fugazi, it might have been like graffiti that somebody had spray painted on the Fort Reno stage. Cause, you know, like I, I live near there and, you know, like I might have been just walking in the park one day and like, I, ha- I have this memory of seeing it, seeing it painted on there. Um, I, I, I went back a while ago to see if it was still there, but, you know, obviously it was years ago and it's since been, you know, like repainted and graffitied over presumably many times since then. Yeah, I, I wonder how many layers of paint are on that stage. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so let's see, how, how did I get into Fugazi? Um, so like, I, I don't know, like I, I barely listened to like any music at all until I was like 13 or 14 ish. Like I, you know, like I probably couldn't name like a single band that I was into, but, um, you know, like I, I did eventually like start to get into, you know, like I, I started listening to, you know, like the, you know, alternative stations on like Pandora or whatever. Um, and then, you know, I, as, as I, as I started, you know, like developing more and more of like my own specific taste and, you know, like not just, not just what was playing on the radio, you know, like I, I started, honestly, I, at first I started getting into like, I don't know, I, these days I would kind of think of it as like car commercial music, like the sort of very generic indie rock that was, you know, everywhere in like the mid 2010s, <laughs> but sure, you know, it, it it's kind of, it's kind of cringe to think about now but it sent me on an okay start i guess um yeah that stuff has its charms yeah but you know like i like i said you know like i was getting i was getting more and more into you know like sort of uh more uh like obscure bands i guess and you know like bands that didn't have such you know huge fan bases or whatever and then i like in in high school i was sort of aware of fugazi's like a band that cooler kids than me liked you know <laughs> Um, but, uh, and I think probably at some point, like I, I went to the Wikipedia page for my high school and saw on the list of notable alumni, like, you know, Guy Pichotto, uh, you know, singer and guitarist from Fugazi. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh I might, you know, like check them out at one point. But, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the defining moment for me when I like got into them was it was it was I think it was like the fall of 2017 so it was my first semester at college um the uh so the the AV club on their YouTube channel they used to do this series called AV Undercover where they would have like 
every season they would have like a list of a list of songs and they would invite bands in to like pick a song off the list and cover it and you know like i i used to i used to watch that series a lot and they did an episode where um the band minus the bear covered waiting room yes i've seen that uh, right yeah, it, I, I tried to find it, but I think like they've they've taken it off of the YouTube channel, which sucks. Oh but, no um, way! Yeah, hmm. but you know, everybody in the comments was saying, you know, like this, this is all right, but it doesn't compare to the original. And I was like, well, this this seemed great, so let me check out the original. And then you know, I looked it up, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, this this is great. So you know, I <laughs> I went and listened to the entirety of thirteen songs, and I was I was kind of sold from there. You go to uh, college in Washington D.C. also. Uh, no, I, I went to UCLA for like two years and then I sort of dropped out for health reasons, but hoping to go back eventually. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, so you've, uh, you've spent most of your life in Washington, DC. Yeah, that's and, true. That's uh, true. A little smidgen in California. I'm <laughs> kind of the same way. I've been mostly on the East coast my whole life, but, uh, in California right now. Cool. And then, uh, so you just sort of got way deep into their discography from there, I guess. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was kind of a gradual process, you know, like every, every couple of months I'd think, oh, you know, like, let me, let me check out, you know, like the, the next album chronologically, you know, like I started with 13 songs and then, you know, moved on to Repeater, then to Seti Diet. Um, But honestly, I think, I think part of it, you know, like during this, during this pandemic, you know, like listening to, listening to your podcast and, you know, hearing this whole fan community talk about the band, it sort of, I think that has also helped like elevate my my level of interest in the band from you know like a just a band that i like to like a you know full-blown like one of my favorite bands it's, it's been you know very cool and interesting to you know see this all of the different perspectives about the band from all the different sort of sides of the community it's funny uh i mean obviously i started this podcast because they're one of my very favorite bands of all time but i agree i think i've come to like them even more doing this podcast you might think it would be the other way around i'd be like "Ah, i'm sick of these guys (laughs) at this point but no uh, i still love fugazi god damn it do you have a favorite album by any chance yeah i i would i would say it's 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 got to be in on the kill taker i think you know it's it's got it's got that perfect balance of you know like the the sort of, you know, more straightforward punk stuff that they were doing earlier on with, you know, some, they're starting to, you know, incorporate more of the, more of the experimental stuff, you know, like the, the sort of duology of that and Red Medicine, I think like, you know, the, the peak of their career for me. Awesome. Well, that's super appropriate because here we are, uh, we're tasked today with perhaps a tricky job, but uh, I think it'll be a good one. We're talking about Rend It. It's from In on the Kill Taker, uh, Jenna's favorite album. And I, I just taking a very unscientific survey of people who comment on these episodes, I think that's a pretty popular opinion. A lot of people really <laughs> love this album, and a lot of people really love this song. So Rend It, uh, I, I just wanted to say off the top, uh, it's an intriguing title right? Before we even yeah. get into listening to it and talking about the lyrics, um, uh, because you have that word it in there. And yeah. uh, I think the the question, what is it, might immediately occur to you, and it might still occur to you after you've listened to the whole song. Yeah. But here's here's a quick trivia challenge for our listeners out there, right? The word it is a pronoun. There are a handful of Fugazi songs with pronouns in them. If you want... 
pause the podcast and think about how many other Fugazi songs can you name that have a pronoun. I'm prepared to give you five points and uh, maybe a little extra bonus points about uh, if you can name one that was never released. Pause the podcast now, see what you can do. And if you're back, Jenna, you want to take a stab at it? Can you name any other Fugazi songs with pronouns in them? Oh gosh, I'm I'm try- I'm trying to think. Like I mean, you know, it's, I was. It's totally unfair how I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, I I was a, I was a linguistics major, you know, in the time that I was at college. So Boom. I feel like this is something that I should be I should be getting. Um, hmm. Like is is there hmm is there something with like I or me or you in the title? I'm yep. I, I don't know. I'm I'm drawing I'm drawing a blank for the moment. Okay, I'm gonna rattle them off, people. Uh, get your scorecards ready. We've got the song By You. We've got a, uh, a twofer in Do You Like Me. Oh, of course. Give Me the Cure. And um, a couple from the instrument soundtrack, I'm So Tired and Me and Thumbelina. Uh, and finally, right. that bonus point, it's one that would, they would play live kind of back in the day, Turn Off Your Guns. Ah, uh, yes. Aside from that little fun game, uh, I have a little trivia fact in that this song is not one of their top 10, uh, but it is in the top 20, and uh, it's the most played live song from In On The Kill Taker. Um, 346 right. times, according to the data that I have. Uh, the live debut was in 1991, December 8th, and um, uh, of course it's worth noting that there's a demo of this on the instrument soundtrack, uh, but I guess maybe we'll get to that. Yeah, those were the things I wanted to say right up front, but as always, I'd like to pass it to you, Jenna. Um, what is the first aspect of the song you want to start talking about? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, um, so, I mean, you know, like, I, I mentioned that uh, that In on the Killtaker is my favorite Fugazi album, but, like, I don't know, when I first listened to it, you know, I think the part, there were parts of it that sort of turn me off at first like I the the sort of more I guess experimental parts of it were kind of I, I don't know they kind of like they kind of gave me they, they they gave me pause you know like I you know I I sort of gravitated towards the songs that were like you know all energy all the time you know like a great cop or public witness program but um you know like as I as I listened to it more and more you know like it, it started it started to grow on me to the point where it is now my favorite but like for a long time I think that Rendit sort of remained as the last holdout. Like I, it was a song that I just like couldn't quite get into as much as I was into all the others. And I think a lot of it is because of you know those, those like really sort of haunting verses, especially you know like that that like acapella one at the start, right? Mm. It was like, oh these, <laughs> I don't want to say like they freak me out, but like you know they're they're very. It's 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 an uncomfortable experience to listen to some of them, you know. You're like totally it's a, it's right. Bit, yeah, and I yeah, think it's, it's, it's it's very like I don't know, viscerally upsetting, you know, almost to 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 you know hear him sort of rending his soul, as it were. Um, but you know, like I, as as I've as I've you know grown to like it and appreciate it more, you know, I think you know almost the there there is sort of there are like benefits to that almost. It, it's sort of it's sort of like a build off to like it build up to the payoff of when it when it finally you know slams into that that chorus you know it's it makes it all the more worthwhile I guess yeah um, it's another 
instance of the real tension and release thing that Fugazi yes, was great at. Yeah, I, I think it's totally fair if you were to say uh, that the acapella parts freak you out. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's that's. I would wager that that is a common effect that is felt by a lot of people who listen to the yeah. song, like especially for the first time. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So I think th- okay. So this, I should say, like this is the reason that I I picked this song to talk about, which is that what what sort of tipped it over the edge for me from you know like you know just just like a song a song that I wasn't too sure about to a song that I liked and now to, you know, like probably in my, I'd say top 15 or 20 favorite Fugazi songs is when I like started looking into the lyrics and I sort of, I finally like connected with this song on a deeper level when I realized that honestly, like it made a lot of sense for me to imagine the narrator being queer or specifically trans. And, you know, obviously this isn't, this isn't what Guy was thinking about when he wrote it, you know, like he's, he's said live that, you know, it's a song about perversion, which kind of doesn't, doesn't reflect too kindly on this interpretation. But, um, you know, like there's the whole idea of death of the author, right? Like, yeah, you know, you can, you can, you can interpret the song in any way you want and it doesn't necessarily have to match up with what the author intended. Yeah, totally. I, I totally invite you to um, to look at it from that framework. And just to jump in, um, it's a song about perversion is something that Guy said. Uh, it's on YouTube, uh, performance April 6, 1993, and I'll put that in the show notes. I thought that was very interesting, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, please continue. Yeah, so I mean, you know, as as a as a trans person, you know, I I definitely, you know, I, I resonate a lot with the the themes that I mean, you've you've mentioned on this podcast that you know, like Guy tends to talk about you know themes of like the the sort of treachery of having a body and you know how how so much of the time it feels it feels like awful and gross and alienating. Right. But uh, yeah, like this this song in particular, you know, he he says the line "locked in a body," right? right? And yes. yeah, I think I think that sort of it it connected with me, you know the the idea of wanting to wanting to like escape this this physical form that you're that you're born into so the the following line from that you know in love with the process of you know he doesn't he doesn't say what process you know he just leaves it off so i think i think that kind of allows for leeway there and i sort of jumped onto that with my little trans hands and and was like <laughs> ah yes clearly clearly this you know the the character in this song is in love with the process of gender transition and you know making the body one's own one's own so that particular line is super interesting because like correct me if i'm wrong but that's not in the liner notes right uh i don't know let me i mean i i did i did look at the liner notes because you know like there's there's one there's one lyric you know at the very end of the song you know the the line about my modern or model love song went wrong and i was trying to figure out what yeah what the actual lyric there was and i looked in the liner notes and it's not there that word is just left out it's just my love song went wrong yes but um i i didn't i didn't actually i didn't look at the lyric about in love with the process of so i was Uh, i was mostly just looking for that one lyric so i yeah tell me is, is it just left out of the lyrics uh yeah in in the liner notes uh let's see i said i said what i said i want you to help me surrender rendered it's yours out of the open we're wide open 
And then it goes just goes into the next verse. Nightlight comes into my room, etc. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's not in the liner notes. And I mean, uh, I I agree that he says locked in a body. Uh, I was listening really closely. I'm not sure about in love. I it sounds to me like he's either saying in luck or in lock. So hmm. um, I, I could be wrong, but yeah, that's an open question to me. As is model versus modern, because I could possibly hear either one of those too um but uh i get yeah i guess listeners um judge for yourself it's uh it's an interesting choice not to have that in the liner notes i don't know if that means something in itself or if that was just sort of like forgotten about or unfinished by the time they had to like supply the liner notes obviously i i mean I can't relate uh, from a trans perspective exactly. I can only imagine. Um, I, I have had moments in my life where that sentiment of being locked in a body, uh, like just, it's it's a much less dramatic example, but I remember being in high school and just like having acne, right? Oh, yeah. And, and hating it so much and just being like, oh, yeah. why do I have to have this stupid human skin? I wish I could just be like a, a robot with with a cold metal exterior that would be so much better this stupid oily gross skin i i just i was very like gee in the moment i was just like ah yeah the human body i hate it um so yeah i mean you know elsewhere elsewhere in the lyrics the, the part about you know like i want you to help me you know surrender rendered its source out in the open we're wide open you know like it's it's almost you know you could you could say that's like a literal a literal coming out almost, you know, it, it, it reads to me, you know, if we're going with the interpretation of, you know, the, the narrator being trans, you know, it's like they're, they're talking to, you know, maybe their partner or a close friend, you know, asking for, you know, help and like giving them the courage to, to come out publicly or something. Cause I mean, you know, uh, in my experience, you know, even, even to this day, you know, it's, it's scary to, present the way that I want to present in public, you know, and it, it, it definitely helps to, to have a, a, a close trusted friend, you know, with me to, to, you know, be by my side and, you know, help reassure me or, you know, give me support or whatever, you know, the, the sort of finding, finding solace in, you know, like other people like oneself. If you don't mind me asking, when did you come out as trans and did you have like supportive people in your life that, um... yeah, um, yeah, I, I came out in spring of 2017, so my senior year of high school. I've been publicly out to, you know, everyone I know since then. And yeah, people, people for the most part have been supportive. There was like one cousin who, you know, sent me a letter telling me to find Jesus. But other than that, you know, everybody's been great. In a way, you know, you were saying, I guess, before we started recording that um, you were feeling a little self-conscious about sort of being in preschool when Fugazi broke up, etc. yeah. But in that respect, I, I've got to say, you're kind of lucky. Like when I was in high school, that would have been seen as completely bizarre. And I mean, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't go to high school like in the deep south or anything like that. Um, it's just amazing how much more understanding has come into the general culture about that sort of thing, yeah. even in the just really recent few years. Um, yeah, so. that, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for that, you know. Yeah, it's uh, such an intriguing interpretation, um, and I, I love that you can sort of overlay that onto what Guy's saying. Like, yeah, I I agree. It doesn't it doesn't seem like that's what Guy would have been writing about 
but from the death of the author perspective and i know like from listening to what gee has said in the past that he is like very encouraging of people like not to worry too much about what he actually wrote the song about but uh about just more into what it means to you um so I yeah think, i think he would really value that yeah i mean you know like i did i did you know try and look up you know uh the the members of the band and you know like they're you know if, if they ever you know have said anything about you know the their their sort of relationship with the trans community and i found this this interview that um that ian did with uh loud and quiet in 2015 he's talking about a, a cramps concert that he saw in 1979 is it okay if i quote here absolutely go for it okay so he says i thought i'm home because in my life i wasn't partaking in what everyone else was partaking in i felt different and i felt marginalized then I found myself in a room full of people who, for varying reasons, were the same. Maybe they were junkies, maybe they were transgender, maybe they were politically anarchistic, who knows. Whatever it was, they were in that room, and they were full of ideas, and that's what I was looking for. Ideas. People who were interested in kicking around some thoughts instead of letting things get blurry. So, you know, I think it's, it's you know, it's cool to, you know, you know, know that, know that, you know, Ian was, you know, he, he, he saw he saw the i guess the the trans community as you know people people who were you know in a in a similar situation to him you know like trying to trying to break away from the mainstream and forge their own path you know even even back in 1979 or whatever yeah yeah totally i i I think a lot of people who got into punk as kids it's probably a universal experience of like you don't feel on the same wavelength as a lot of other people and all of a sudden you find this subculture this this like alternative world of of punk yeah. music or whatever and yeah there're probably a lot of parallels there with like sort of discovering that you are trans or you're uh, gay or whatever suddenly clicks into place like oh okay now i sort of understand why didn't feel right before and the yeah <laughs> the the world that is like actually accepting of me yeah a good portion of the trans friends that i have you know like they're all they're all very into punk and sort of all that sort of uh, musical subculture as well I, w- I would imagine like that line why don't you drag me right out do you think there's um you think there's something in that that's like sort of reluctance to come out and like almost wishing that you would be involuntarily outed like is i mean i yeah i i don't know uh i think yeah it's like sort of maybe maybe not involuntarily outed but like you know or just like i wish everybody already knew so i didn't need somebody else to help push you push you over the edge and you know make that yeah make that big leap yeah i mean so the way i had been reading this whole thing was just as a like a, a relationship song um i yeah. mean he does refer to it as a love song in the lyrics um and yeah i wonder how many parallels we can find there where i mean if we if we look at it from that framework right i was seeing it as a person who has like possibly broken up with another person or like said something wrong right and sort of is not willing to um who like doesn't want to apologize maybe yeah is just really wishing that this person would come back and and try to like force them back into 
back into the relationship almost like, yeah, I, I don't care what you said. I know you didn't mean it. Like, let's um, come out and spend time with me again. Um, why don't you come to my house? Why don't you drag me right out past all the shit that I said? Maybe the narrator's feeling just very prideful or very even fearful of admitting a mistake or making a move after embarrassing himself, basically, uh, with, with something that he did or said. Yeah, maybe. Um, and yeah, I guess like that whole thing, why don't you cut up my mouth is, yeah, it's sort of like a startling line. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's where the it in the title comes in, right? Yeah. Is, I, I don't know if, if he meant that, like the mouth metaphor to be extended, but yeah, why don't, why do you cut up my mouth? I don't care what you use. Um, you know, rent it. Yeah. It's yours. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think the, the you, you know you were you were saying about like what does the it refer to? Um, you know, I was I was thinking you know like my my interpretation you know like I I sort of see the the it as being you know like the 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 narrator's soul almost you know like just just rend my soul, tear it apart, you know, <laughs> sort of help me help me sort of uh, go go through this process of, you know, like, you know, fully, um, I guess, I, I don't know, like, separating, separating my, my mind from my body, maybe, I don't know. That's pretty interesting. I, I had trouble with that because, you know, the entire line is surrender, rendered, it's yours. Yeah. I, I don't know if it works grammatically, but I had always sort of thought he's saying the word surrender to himself and rend it ah, to the okay. other person, right? Like he wants to surrender. He wants to like give up control to this other person and, and just wants them to yeah. force him to, I, I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah. I think, I think I, 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 I agree with you there. I think I, I didn't, I didn't quite phrase it quite right when I, when I said what I said, but um, yeah, I think, I think I, I think I mostly agree with you there. Did you have any thoughts on the, on the next verse? Nightlight comes into my room, etc. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly, certainly the line about you know some shade of bruise-colored blue, like that's more, you know, sort of classic gee, you know, like very gross, visceral bodily imagery. It's gross and beautiful at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, for for the longest time, you know, like I was, I kind of assumed that. I don't know, like when I when I first heard it, I I sort of thought that like night light comes into my room. It's like a literal electric night light that you would plug into an outlet. But like, hold on, that that doesn't that doesn't <laughs> quite make sense, you know? Right. It, it's it's more it's more literally the the light of night, you know, like the moonlight or whatever. You know, he's not he's not talking about the like. <laughs> you do you know the song uh, "Birdhouse in Your Soul" by They Might Be Giants? I was just thinking about that, but I wasn't yes. going to bring it up because I thought it was a bit of a stretch. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad your mind was there too yeah it's a great song yeah and and i like how it moves through my mind like a chemical imbalance on schedule so like just night nighttime is a a mood altering substance like yeah um, and i think there's so much truth in that like um there's there's this great line in the novel the sun also rises by ernest hemingway where like the have you read that one i haven't no 
it's a super interesting book. Like the narrator, they, they never say it like very directly, but it's, it's fairly clear if if you're a good, if you're a close reader that the narrator has like possibly lost his genitals in, in the war, like world war one or injured somehow that renders him impotent in some way. Um, Either it doesn't work or it's not there or something. That being the case, though, he's in love with this woman. And uh, so he he has to go through the novel with this sort of like tension playing out. And she's basically in love with him, but they both know it'll never work because they can't uh, adequately like realize the you know physical desires that they have. Yeah. But there's this one line where uh, the narrator just says it's uh, it's easy to be like hard boiled about things during the day, but at night it is another thing. So, like, you know, there's so much to distract you during the daytime from whatever your pain is. Like, there are things you have to do, uh, people to talk to. But when it's night and you're alone with your thoughts, that's when the suffering happens. And yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, returning to the, the sort of trans interpretation that I was talking about earlier, you know, like, I can, I can absolutely confirm, you know, like, you know, gender dysphoria tends to get a lot worse, you know, like when you're just sitting up alone at night you know alone with your thoughts or whatever yeah. you know with, with nothing to distract you yeah yeah it puts me in mind of uh the episode that just came out uh as we were recording this promises uh with touch oh your, yeah touch your hand to the wall at night i think there's yeah like that really resonates with this song there was there was also so something something that i made a note of to to ask you about so that line uh moves through my mind like a chemical imbalance on schedule um so are you are you like interpreting that as like two separate lines or is it like one single line like moves through my mind like a chemical imbalance on schedule? Oh, I think I was interpreting them as as separate, but that's that's very interesting. Yeah. It never occurred to me. Yeah, it's it's something it's something that I noticed. Um you know, I I'm I'm not sure myself, but um you know, it was it was something that I I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, so you're you're an English teacher, right? Um, not currently, but I have been. Okay. Um, but uh, so is 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 that is that an example of enjambment? <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's the word. Yes. For it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my my memories of you know high school English class are are coming back to me. <laughs> you nailed it. You, your teacher yeah. would be proud. <laughs> Heck yes. But yeah, that was that was just that was just something that I noticed that I wanted to ask you your interpretation on. Yeah, I I wonder if that would have any like practical difference in meaning though, because I think either way the meaning is like yeah, you know, when nighttime comes in, it just like throws our narrator into a state here, and, and mm-hmm. like that's yeah, as I said, that's when the suffering starts, and he's just like uh, spiraling over the the relationship or the the dysphoria or, or whatever mm-hmm. you interpret this as. Yeah. And then there's more mouth stuff in this stanza. Yes. Too, right? It, it continues. And yeah. that's certainly not unprecedented for Guy. There's, there's been a lot of that in other songs. This like super, yeah. super sensory language uh, that mm-hmm. is, continues to be uncomfortable. The line, I lick my lips when I need it, etc. That's Yeah. That's like troublesome to me. I'm not sure how to take that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if it is, you know, like, as you said, you know, if it's about a relationship, you know, it could possibly mean, you know, I don't want to lick them no more. You know, I 
you know, something like I want to kiss you again or something like that. Yeah, I think that's like, yeah, I think my mind was circling around something like that. Just being mm-hmm. like uh, another person to kiss as like, uh, yeah, I guess you don't have to lick your own lips if you do that. <laughs> it's a it's a funny yeah. way to say it, but I guess. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, yeah, so and and then we've got uh, another chorus, and then yeah, basically my love song went wrong. It's, it's it's cool that he repeats just simply my love song so many times before, yeah. like at the very end, like he goes into what he wanted to say, which is it went mm-hmm. wrong. If you sort of imagine that he's like writing it just from beginning to end and there are no revisions and uh he sort of like starts to write it and as he's writing it he starts to realize man this is this is going terribly this is not a good love song (laughs) i started out (laughs) with something in mind and it's warped into this i like i imagine for gee he would be saying it's like been warped into this another uncomfortable gee pachoto song like all of all of my songs end up being un- uncomfortable to some degree. Yeah. Um yeah, I I wonder what a straightforward love song from Gee would even look like or sound like. It's almost hard to imagine. Yeah, we talked about modern versus model. Mhm. I like yeah, either modern or model, I feel like could work there. Yeah, I mean, I I did I did try to listen to it to figure out which one of them seems more likely and I, I sort of came up with like a, a potential third theory, which is that he might actually just be saying my, my, my love song. I wondered that too. Yes. Yeah. Because otherwise, like it doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense that he would like leave out a word in the middle of a line unless it was, you know, just one that he was repeating and, and, you know, they, they didn't want to, you know, write it out multiple times in a row. And there is, there is definitely like a sort of like a B or an M sound in the middle of the in the middle of that word, at least how I'm hearing it. Yeah. Um, I, I agree, but that, that crossed my mind too. I had, I had written down all those three possibilities. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah. Did you get a chance to listen to, um, the demo of the song before we talked? Yeah, I did. It was, you know, I think that the word that certainly comes to mind, you know, even, even more so with the, the demo than with the original song is, is haunting, you know? Yeah, the the lyrics are quite different, and yes. I get the sense a, a lot of them are inaudible on the demo, and I yeah, get the sense be, that you know like he's still he's still like trying to work through what exactly, he wants to say. Exactly. Have you done songwriting before? Uh, from from time to time. Yeah, I I mean I feel like I've definitely done that. I've just like have a thing that I'm playing on guitar and I'm sort of making nonsense sounds with my mouth to just sort of understand the rhythm and the melody of what I want to say and just am using placeholder sounds. And it sort of seems like that's what he's doing on the demo. Um, yeah. And and so it's, it is a little, I guess, in that way, illuminating into Guy's process. Um, if he is doing that... And the end result is like not quite something you can understand every step of the way. Maybe that's mm-hmm. maybe that's part of it. Maybe he ended up with something, and he's like, "Oh, I guess that makes sense," but it's not quite clear to the listener. Um, I still I can't tell what uh, the line "I forced a field to allow you" 
is for example yeah. like i feel like that's maybe something that just arose in that um mm-hmm. pre-conscious sound making and he just sort of grandfathered it into the end product yeah um i'm <laughs> happy to hear anyone who has a, a theory on that line because i don't know uh, i mean this this is this is mostly a joke but you know like what if he's a a superhero or something and he's creating a literal force field <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> uh, that that did not escape me that the, the the word force field is in the background there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, uh, we could uh, talk about the music a little bit. Um, yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. I think probably the thing that stands out most is that lack of music in the first half of the verses, right? Yeah. Um, it's just acapella, and then um, we've we get the guitar. Uh, and the bass sort of like starting to come in with a little uh, drum roll and then the drums drop yeah. out and it's just guitar and bass accompanying him for a while and finally the drums come in for the chorus um, I I do love the sound of that drum roll in the middle of the verse though like oh yeah they, they really got the the drum sound sounding real nice for this song yeah I um so I'm I'm a very amateur drummer I've only been learning for like a you know about a year and a half, but, you know, I did, I did, uh, sort of go over this song, you know, with my, with my drum teacher, like trying to analyze it and figure out what's going on. So in the, in the, in the beginning of the song, you know, like something, something that I thought was pretty interesting was that, um, so, you know, like he, Brendan is like doing that, you know, you know, and then every, you know, every time, you know, like along with the, along with the rest of the band, but you know, like he's, he's varying it up, you know, he's not hitting the same drum heads every time. Um, and something, something that sort of stood out was, um, at least as far as I could tell. So like the, sometimes he's, uh, he's hitting the bass pedal, like all the way through that, that, that fill. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he, he leaves it off until the end to use it, to use the, the kick drum, almost like a, a third arm almost to free up, his other to, to free up his arms to you know like hit hit two two drums or cymbals simultaneously hmm. you know so it's 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 sort of cool that you know there's that there's that level of variation and you know he's thinking on his feet that much i've like looked at live performances and you know like he's not he, he's not you know like always playing it you know exactly as it as it was on the record you know it's it, it seems it seems more of a sort of you know free-flowing semi-improvised thing how he plays you know each variation of the fill that's really interesting i did not notice that about the kick drum um i'm gonna have to re-listen closer yeah to to be fair it was it was kind of difficult to pick out because you know like it's kind of buried in the mix but yeah that's that's at least um you know what what my what my drum teacher and i thought shout out to my drum teacher by the way his name's ben tufts he's really great he's he was he was into fugazi back in their heyday so he he had you know stories to regale me with of you know going to see them live well speaking of the drums maybe this is a good time to dip into uh comments from people on uh the alphabetical fugazi facebook page um or rather just one of them for now because uh great drummer and friend of the show will rockwell scott said i noticed that when brendan counts this song off live he does five stick clicks rather than four that made me realize that the song starts on the and of one rather than on the downbeat of one, which is how I always heard it. 
Guy huh. also often starts singing in a different spot live than on the album. I'd be curious to hear Ted Nicely chime in on this. Producer Ted Nicely, and uh, lo and behold, producer Ted Nicely did chime in on this, and he replied to Will Rockwell Scott, He and uh, he says, On Rendit, the intro is an edit. There is the instrumental intro, then Guy comes in with a vocal acapella. We stopped the intro there, then rolled tape again with a count. Uh, the band comes in and Guy starts the verse. We had to do it that way as there was no real tempo besides Guy's timing to come back on. We stopped, rolled tape again, and did takes sans intro until we had one to overdub vocals to, which at most would have been two. Then we spliced intro to the rest of the song with an and space. So uh, thanks so much for chiming in with that, Ted. Uh, that's uh, I, I just I love hearing behind the scenes stuff like that. Yeah, what what do you think about the li- how they did this live in general? Uh, you know, I so the the one um you you mentioned uh that that performance um from 1993 where, you know, Guy introduces it as a song about perversion. Like I I looked at that one too. Um so I I think uh I I forget like precisely like when in the year you know, on the Kill Taker came out, but I, I don't, I, I think this was from before the album had been released. So, you know, a lot of, presumably a lot of the fans wouldn't have heard this before. And, you know, like I, I, I just noticed that, you know, like while, while Guy is, you know, like singing that acapella part, like everybody is just like staring rapturously at him, you know, from the, from the audience. It was, it was very, it was very cool to see. Um, yeah. Which is great for me. And it's what, like, I think it's a big thing that makes this a problematic song for me later on in their career because the the versions I saw where people are like singing along with him, it kind of ruins it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does, it does, you know, kind of need that sort of, that, that starkness, you know, like, you know, like a, a single, a single, you know, spotlight shining on a stage or whatever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I was, I was very much feeling that and I'd be like, ah, this is not, it's not a sing-along moment. Um, <laughs> I sort of I want to be the conductor of the audience and just be like, no, 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 just let Guy do it. I also thought that I mean I really love Guy's vocal performance on the recording. Um, I don't know about yeah. you, but it's so especially the end. Um, of course, he like his singing in the verse is so um, so bold and so interesting. But man, he he nails it so hard on the end. I think when he's just mm-hmm. like screaming, "My love song went wrong." Just like every yeah. every single word, uh, like a like a you know punctuation mark almost. You know, like on the end of on the end of you know every every like uh, iteration of that of that riff that they do. You know, I think "Rend It" is a is a great live song in a lot of ways. Um, I, I, I feel like from watching live versions that he rarely sort of attained those heights. And I, I know it's a lot to ask, but man, I, I wish he would like belt it out in the same way, but he sort of seemed to do it in a little bit more of a chill way live. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh man, it's that that's not as good as the album. I feel like he put a lot of his soul into the acapella verses and it, it's almost like, he doesn't have anything left by the time he gets to the end. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, we have to mention also that just that the thing that they're doing at the beginning and the end on the guitar, um, and especially live, uh, if you, uh, if you watch a good version of rend it, it's like Ian and Guy would 
both be making these motions like they're swinging giant axes, right? They like lean <laughs> yes, way yeah, back exactly. with the guitars and then just like like go towards each other with a giant chopping motion and, and the like mm. that huge downbeat. Da, da. Um it's like it's so great to watch. Um the and just like sonically that that thing they do on the guitar, I the thing that kept popping into my mind is the sound it sounds like dinosaurs roaring in Jurassic Park. Like Oh yeah. Or maybe Godzilla or or something. It's <laughs> just like this huge dinosaur roar is what it sounds like to me um come to think of it jurassic park uh came out the same year that in on the kill taker did so hmm. maybe there's some <laughs> some strange behind the scenes conspiracy that someone can come up with relating those two but yeah I, I i love that intro and um the way it comes back in the end when Guy is just belting out those lyrics is uh yeah it's kind of magical i love it do you know do you know the band mets M-E-T-Z? M-E-T-Z. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, they have a song on their most recent album called Hail Taxi. And, um, you know, when it, when it first came out, you know, like last year, and I like listened to it for the first time, I was like, wow, this, the, the singer's vocal delivery on this song, like it, I'm getting like real, real big, you know, Guy Pichotto vibes from it. And like, I, I went down to the comments and there were other people saying the same thing. And I saw one person, uh, so shout out to this commenter, uh, Nicholas Hellinger, who comments that riff at 3:45 sounds a lot like Fugazi's Rendit though. Hmm. So yeah, there's I I did I did listen and yeah, there is there is a there is a part of this song Hail Taxi that sounds that sounds like the da 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 da. And I mean, you know, I I know that I know that uh the members of Mets are Fugazi fans. They did a they did a video from that like uh What's in My Bag series from amoeba records uh-huh. where the the drummer picked out uh instrument soundtrack so they are they are known fugazi fans sweet i have not heard that song but i'm going to check it out and put it in the show notes for uh, for our peeps it's very good it's in i believe it's in seven four which is maybe oh. my favorite weird time signature uh yeah what's in is, is that like money by pink floyd is that seven four yeah yeah, right. Or I, I, I know, I know. There's like debate about what time signature money is in. Like the the band say it's in seven four, but like other people are like, actually, it's in it's in twenty one eight or whatever. What? <laughs> okay, I, I I feel like I'll never be musically sophisticated enough to appreciate the difference between those. But okay. Yeah. I guess the time has come to talk about ratings then. Uh, so yes. Je- as you know, Jenna, uh, on the show, we rate every song on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of the Fugazi catalog, assuming you uh, can conceive of a one star Fugazi song, like imagine the range of their catalog that way. Yeah. And uh, given that, what do you give Rend It? It's maybe not in my top 10 Fugazi songs, just because, you know, the band have so many you know incredible songs in their catalog but it's it's certainly it's certainly in my top 20 so i think i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna have to give it like a a 4.5 out of 5 i am also a fan of this i was thinking of four it's such a good song although i always uh mentally like pair rend it with last chance for a slow dance like i think Mm -hmm. of them as sort of similar really like heartfelt and beautiful slash disturbing gi songs 
And, yeah. uh, and given that, I prefer Last Chance for a Slow Dance. So I guess I guess Rend It has to be like a, a little bit down, but um, mm-hmm. it's still such a good song. And uh, I guess I guess that's a good uh, time to uh, go more into comments from social media. I think people really love this song. Gonzalo Leva Bastias says, I wonder if Guy didn't get into Fugazi, how would this song have turned out? Hearing the demo, I can totally imagine Guy as a folk artist like Elliot Smith or something like that. I was I was listening to the demo with that comment in mind, and I I get it. I I could hear him being like an Elliot Smith type, like a I guess the word wouldn't be like a a sadder Elliot Smith because that's impossible. But yeah, oh, yeah, definitely something like that. Uh, also, he says most of Fugazi's discography is labeled as post-hardcore, but I feel like this song, among others from Gee, sound very emo-ish in the way that the guitars are arranged, and of course in the lyrics. Definitely one of my favorites in their catalog. And Jason Dick says, Killtaker is a damn near perfect record. Rendit is arguably Guy's best vocal performance, or at least his most showy. Um, Jared Coffin says, this is my favorite Fugazi song, especially the chorus. Uh, the demo is not a favorite. However, the Killtaker version might be why I fell into a deep relationship with Fugazi. I have heard Guy say it's about something traumatic that happened to him, but he never mm-hmm. was explicit about what it was. Um, that's, yeah, I had never... I never saw a comment like that, but uh, that's very intriguing. I'd be interested to hear more about that. Bradford Reed Goodwin says, The acapella opening is a brave choice. Guy's voice enters fully exposed like a curtain ripped open to reveal a wounded animal. It confronts you with its vulnerability in a way that's perfectly in service of the song. Heartrending. Kevin DeMars says, I always loved how the instrumental portion of the intro felt kind of forced and jarring once it drops off and his isolated vocal part abruptly pushes through. It was a challenging listen when I first heard it as a teenager, but I loved it for that. The intro almost seems like it would be the end of a different song, even though it returns later, and the tracks just push together so closely. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that it's, you know, given that, it's worth noting that the way this um, sort of segues into 23 beats off is yeah, sort of iconic. It sounds really perfect, and it's like one of those things that's... Um, Oh, wait, actually, we have a comment by Celeste Skipper who says, perhaps one of the last times we get such an austerely instrumented track in the catalog, this song and 23 Beats Off are inseparable to me. Killer track. So yeah, Celeste, that's exactly what I was about to say. Another fan of this song is Dustin Henry Courier, who says, this is the song that really hooked me into loving Fugazi. Guy's vocals are simply arresting, and it's a great example of their mastery of dynamics. I also love the intuitive yet sort of wacky timing during the end section. Ben Traub says, so many mentions of mouth parts in this song, bruises and all. Is this a song about burning the bridges of relationships to the point of giving up? Uh, artistic process or a song about drugs? Um, yeah, maybe all of the above. Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like uh, the listenership is uh, you know, collectively uh, very, very big on this song. So, um, yeah, and uh, us too. I, I, I feel like this... for. If you're talking to a Fugazi fan who loves all their records, like it's hard to imagine they they don't really like this one. So I feel like everyone yeah. rate it above average. Well, hot stuff. Um, how about plugs? Jenna, do you have uh, anything you want listeners to check out? Any projects you work on or simply where people can find you online? Anything like that? Yeah, um, let's see. I... Uh I am on Twitter at post punk lesbian. Um, 
Yeah. Um, I, how is that not see. taken yet? Come on. Yeah, I know it was, it was a, <laughs> it was a big surprise when I found out it wasn't. Um, but, um, yeah, let's see. I, um, I'm pretty active in the, the crossword puzzle sphere actually. And, um, Oh yes, we emailed about this, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, I, I emailed you to say that, uh, that I believe it's Guy's uncle has a, a Patreon where you can subscribe to the cryptic crosswords that he writes. Um, I think he actually recently joined the team writing the, the cryptic crossword for the New Yorker. Does the New Yorker have a cryptic crossword? It used to, like, in the 90s, and then they huh. recently resurrected it. First okay. they were just running sort of reruns of older material, and now they've, now they've actually, you know, got a new dedicated team. Wow. I, um, yeah, I used to have a subscription to the New Yorker, but I, I guess I let it lapse when I moved away from New York. Um, can you, for, for listeners who don't know what a cryptic crossword is, can you explain that briefly? Oh, gosh. Um, so, basically... They're, so they're they're a lot more popular in in Britain than they are in America. But right. essentially, so every every clue is like at first it looks like just a sort of random nonsensical sentence. But like every uh, so every clue is like divided into two parts. There's the straightforward definition of the answer, and then there's the sort of wordplay portion of the answer, which sort of obliquely clues you know the answer via you know like it's spelling or some pun or something like that i'm i'm like gonna try and think of a good example um oh yeah so the the um i i wrote i wrote like a a cryptic clue for a for a uh a fugazi song title a while ago so the the clue director ceases vast broadcast 10 letters would be a cryptic clue for Cassavetes because director is the straightforward definition uh-huh. and then ceases vast broadcast indicates you have to anagram the letters in ceases vast to get Cassavetes. Wow. And so if that if that's the kind of if that's the kind of thing that you know lights up some portion of your brain then you know maybe check out cryptic crosswords and go go uh, support uh, out of left field on Patreon because that's where that's where Guy's uncle is. I I love uh, traditional crossword puzzles and like I would <laughs> I remember I used to have like crossword puzzle races with a friend of mine like we both get a laptop and like dial up today's you know Washington Post post crossword and and see who could finish it faster. Um, but that said, for, quite frankly, cryptic crosswords scare me. So um, I <laughs> you know hats off to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so the the reason that I brought up crosswords during this plug section is because um. So I am, I am on the team that runs uh, this. It, it was an annual crossword competition in DC prior to the pandemic. It was called the Indy Five Hundred. Indy spelled I N D I E. Uh, you know, highlighting you know sort of the the independent crossword scene. And we just released um, what would have been the puzzles from the twenty twenty competition as a pack that you can get by uh, donating to uh, one of our sort of pre selected charities. So if you go to, I think it's theindie500.com, and again, that's I-N-D-I-E, and then the number is 500, you can find it there. One of the more unique plugs we've had, I gotta say. <laughs> so um, <laughs> there you go, all you cruciverbalists out there, hit it up. 
Well, thanks so much for joining me, Jenna. Um, cool to talk to you and cool to get like a really different perspective on this song uh, that not a lot of my previous guests have had. So cheers. Really good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, for me, folks, as always, if you want to recommend this podcast to other people who like Fugazi, like, I mean, come on. That's what are you even doing if you listen to this and you haven't said to your friends, hey, there's this podcast about Fugazi. So if you haven't done that yet, come on, give me a little recommendation. As always, uh, just as Jenna did, you can email me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com about whatever you want. And if you want to chime in about the next uh, episode I'll be recording, you can join the Facebook group called The Alphabetical Fugazi, and I will be soliciting comments there. I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing Repeater. Until then, keep your eyes open 